Well, it is great to be here this evening, and uh, I, I am humbled by the opportunity to uh, stand before you and talk about the work and present a message from God's Word. I want to say, brethren, that I really do appreciate you. Uh, you have made it possible for a lot of people to hear the gospel. You've been part of that. You have made it possible for a congregation that didn't used to be there to be there now. You have helped to make it possible for about 32 souls that comprise the congregation at Newton, Iowa to be on their way to heaven. Guys, I thank you on behalf of those souls. And not just those but those that will hear in the future. I want to say that the time that I have gotten to know this congregation, I feel so very blessed that my son came to work with you. I am so very blessed because you've taken him under your wings and you made him a part of the family. You've given him a great work and a great opportunity and a beautiful family to be a part of. And I'm talking about the church family. I love the physical family. They're very dear to me. I couldn't ask for better. But our spiritual family is our amazing family. And the time that we spend together to me is very precious. It's always wonderful for my wife and I to be able to come here. And I also want you to be thankful for the leadership here. You are so very blessed. I've been involved in congregations all over this country and, and in other countries. And guys, you've got so much. Take everything that you have and use it to the best of your ability to go forward and do the work of the Lord here and wherever you have the opportunity. Be thankful for the blessings that you have and use them. Well, Jared told me that I had to stop by 25 after, but I'm not going to listen to him tonight. <laughs> I want to begin by taking a little time and talking about the history of the church in Newton, Iowa. Eleven years ago, we started meeting in Newton, Iowa on Sunday afternoon about 3.30 or 4 o'clock. I can't remember how long it was. And uh, <clears throat> we uh, met for some time. And uh, that year, we had a building given to us. It was a fairly small building, and, uh, but it was a great opportunity. And uh, about a year and, and three months in, on March 13th, Friday, March 13th, we baptized two souls, the first two souls of the work. At that particular time, I think actually in July before, we started meeting on a regular basis uh, in that community. One of the things that's different about the work in Newton, Iowa, is that uh, we did, were not blessed with neighboring congregations that a few of those members could come and start to worship with us and to work. And so we didn't have that opportunity. Instead, we went out into the community and we knocked doors and we got involved in community activities and we set up studies with people in the world. That's a slow process. 
But I'll tell you what, it uh, wasn't long. We had a lot of people attending. We had about 30 people in attendance. And, and sometimes, seeing as how about all of these people didn't really know much about the Bible, it could be interesting worship services. In fact, it was not uncommon for some woman to jump up and say, wait a minute, preacher, I want to know about this in the middle of the assembly. And so uh, individuals that are not Christians uh, can do challenging things from time to time. And so uh, we challenged and worked through all of those struggles and was able to uh, deal with that. And, and it's interesting, that woman that, that would we'd get up and say, I want to stop, I want you to look at this. Uh, you know what? She eventually obeyed the gospel. Through patient continuance, eventually obeyed the gospel. Through the years, we've seen many people come and go. There's been numerous people that I've buried twice. There's been many people that I've buried into Christ that have left the Lord. Some of these individuals that are buried into Christ have moved on and, and gone to worship in other places. But the work grows. It continues on. One of the things that we strive to do is to work to be self-sufficient. And we continue to grow and do that. We pay all of our local bills, including the, the building that we bought. And we pay about a, a third of, of the uh, support that used to come in. We, we take care of that ourselves. And so our desire is to grow. And so we've come a long ways. Over the 11 years, I've learned a lot about church growth. And uh, I've even gone places and taught the seminars on, on evangelism. And, and it's always evolving and I'm always changing. And, and one of the things that I do when I, I, I teach about evangelism is I'll ask for a show of hands. And I ask a question, and I won't ask the question, you don't need to raise your hand, but I already know the answer. If I ask this evening, how many of you believe in Jesus and what he said, everybody here would raise their hand without doubt. Brother read a passage just a few minutes ago, and he read the words of Jesus in Matthew chapter 7, and Jesus said, ask, and it shall be given unto you. Seek, and ye shall find. Knock, and it shall be opened unto you. I want us to note what Jesus had to say. Jesus said to you and me that if you ask, you're going to be given. That if you seek, that you are going to find. And that if you knock, it's going to be open. So let me ask this question. We believe Jesus. And we struggle with, with winning souls. But do we ask? Are we actively seeking? And as we seek and ask, are we knocking? I 
My wife and I walk at Walmart all the time. Not that we spend money there. But we do walk because it's full of souls. It's full of souls. And as we walk, we, we ask people, we talk to them and, and get to know them and, and invite them to church. And, and Roy is one of those. That man's amazing. He does an amazing job of leading prayers now that he's a Christian. Waiting on the Lord's table. And he's so thankful that he has an opportunity to go to heaven because he wasn't always a Christian and he didn't live like one. But he does now. Because we ask. It's because we were looking. And when the opportunity came up because we were seeking, we knocked on his door there at Walmart and said, Roy, Let's sit down and study the Bible together because the time had come. And he agreed. And so, guys, as we stop to think about winning the souls and, and, and filling this building and, 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 and having more, it's not about numbers. It's about souls going to heaven. And the key is not about programs. And programs are good, and we need programs to do the work of the Lord. But, guys, I'll tell you what, the key is is an asking and seeking and knocking in everyday life. It doesn't matter what you're doing. It doesn't matter what you are doing. You need to be asking and seeking and knocking. I want to go to Matthew chapter 7 and look, or, Math, or rather, I'm sorry, uh, 2 Timothy chapter 2, verses 24 through 26. And I want to notice the passage there because within that passage, it is a very important thing that is really talking about you and I as we go out to try to win those souls that are lost. And it says within that passage, it says, And the servant of the Lord must not strive, but be gentle unto all men, apt to teach, patient, in meekness, instructing those that oppose themselves. If God, peradventure, will give them repentance to the acknowledging of the truth, and they might recover themselves out of the snare of the devil, who are taken captive by him to do his will. You know, a lot of times we make soul winning very hard and very complicated and very difficult when, when really it should just flow as a normal part of our life. It, it should not be some confrontational thing, but it should be an individual that is, is there to not strive. Rory obeyed the gospel, I believe in November or December, about two years ago and it wasn't long I was able to get a study with his wife Robin's her name and I was teaching Robin and when Robin would go home Roy was kind of quick because he'd already seen the truth. He understood it and he was be creating problems at home because he was so convinced in the plan of salvation and she wasn't. 
I kind of felt bad about it, but I knew it was the only hope. I had to give Roy an order that he would leave his wife alone and he would let me teach her. And Roy loved her soul and he saw that I was telling the truth and he left her alone. Robin's a Christian now. She's an amazing lady that, that is living for the Lord and doing what's right. But, but the striving was there and he was trying to teach her things that she was not ready to understand. And, and, and the gentleness, it's so easy to not be gentle when we're trying to help somebody obey the gospel. And just stop and think about Put yourself in their position. Think about something that you do not know and maybe you're learning to understand and somebody just tries to push it at you and tells you and, and, and force it on you. And how many of us are going to agree to that? Not a one. I'll guarantee you. I, I make a joke a lot of times. Uh, I said, you're not going to tell me anything. Just ask Dorothy. But God, on the other hand, whatever he says, that goes. And that's said to emphasize the fact that I respect God and what he says, but I'm going to test what you tell me to do. And so think about that as you're trying to help somebody obey the gospel. We had a great study in Jamaica last June. And we, 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 we went through some things with how to, how to teach and how to help people to come to that point and slow, patiently helping them get to that point, that gentleness, that apt to teach, that being ready to teach. Keep in mind that we don't always need to jump on everything. But we need to be patient and give it time. We've had a study going for about six months. And she's a lesbian. I'm patient. I'm ready to teach. And she's getting worried about her sins. But she's not ready. One of the things that I've learned in... in, in being consumed all the time with nothing but teaching the lost and, and, and trying to help them to come from where they're at to where they need to be is that it's easy to stop the study. It's easy to bring it to a close right now. But to be patient will eventually bring about some good. Robin was that way. I remember when Roy obeyed the gospel and she was coming to worship with him. She stood there in the foyer and told me, she says, I've been a member of the Salvation Army all my life and I'm going to die that way. I said, that's really nice. I said, I'm very happy for you. I wasn't really happy, but with where she was at, that was all I could say. But she knows now because when she sat down and looked at the Bible, she told me, you know what? I'm going to be lost if I don't change my ways, obey the gospel plan of salvation, and worship with the saints.
She knows that readily now. Roy understands that he was trying to give her too much too quick. I love Roy and Robin. They're great people. But guys, we had to be patient. And it's so easy for you and me who, who, who were, we're, we're grounded on the truth to understand it and we can't understand why somebody else can't. But there's a lot of things we just need to let lay. People haven't been looking at this. They've been listening to some preacher. Or they've been listening to the worldly way of saying, just do religion your way. It really doesn't matter. Just enjoy yourself and, and everybody's right. The logo that says, Racing for Christ. It's okay to race. But that, when that is your devotion to God, there's a problem. And that's the way the world thinks. We've got to get this into them. And that's going to take patience and carefulness to help them to understand that. Notice that in meekness we are instructing those that oppose themselves. Now, notice the meek attitude. And that's strength under power, if you will. Moses was the meekest man on the face of the earth, and, and he had great power, but he was very careful in how he carried out what he had to do. You and I need to be meek. We need to be careful. We need to be loving and, and, and help these people because we need to remember they're opposing themselves. What do we often think when somebody rejects the message? We feel they're rejecting us, don't we? And we feel hurt. And, and yes, I feel hurt when somebody rejects the message, but we need to understand that they're opposing themselves, not you and me. We need to look out on these individuals and recognize, as Jesus did in John chapter 8 with the woman, taken in the act of adultery. He saw her soul. He looked into her eyes. He knew that she was a sinner. He knew that she was steeped in the sins that she was involved in. But he very meekly said, I'm not here to condemn you. Go. Stop your sinning. Change your life. You and I need to be meek in the teaching of those that are lost. Guys, we need to recognize that these people are, are taken captive by Satan to do his will. And we need to have that patience and love for one of them. I want us to go to John chapter 16, and I want to notice a passage there that, uh, you know, so many passages, uh, as I look at the words of Jesus, they, they, they speak volumes. There, there's so many gems within the Word of God. And so as we look at this concept, I'm looking at Jesus just before he goes to the cross. Jesus has spent three and a half years with these apostles. Three and a half, day in, day out, night and day for three and a half years. They've seen the miracles. They even perform miracles themselves. And we would think how mature and how, how far they've come. 
But notice what Jesus says to these apostles in John 16 and verse 12. He says, I have yet many things to say unto you, and you're not able to bear them yet. You see the meekness that we need to have with people that are lost in the world, that have been steeped in, in error? People that have not really studied the Bible and, and not come to learn what it says? You know what I've learned? I've learned to allow the Bible to teach. You know, it's so easy, and, and I've done so much of it over the years, I'll tell people what it says. I never really got very far doing that. I really didn't. But what I've tried to do is to give people a basic understanding of God's Word. And I don't tell them what it says. I let them read the Bible. I let them read the verse. And then I ask them to tell me. And then I try to build. I try to help them to see we can't change the Bible. And I try to help them to see some things that it's easy to see. Well, we, we're going to have to follow what it says. And it says some things that we don't particularly like. And after some time of teaching, often, usually it takes two hours. We, we have our Bible studies that last two hours almost all the time. Many of our Bible studies will go from two to six months. This one lady we're teaching, we're still not to the close, and it's going to be a while. Do you know how many times I have trouble dealing with instrumental music? Never. Because by the time we get to Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 19 and Colossians chapter 3 and verse 16, you know what they tell me? We can't use instruments and be pleasing to God. I've never had anything different. Not when I remember what Jesus says in my teaching. These people have grown up with it. They see it. That's all they see. That's all they know. And so we need to be patient. Let them see it for themselves. I don't want them to follow me. I want them to follow the Lord. One of the challenges that we have is making sure that the church grows and goes forward. I'm not going to live forever. I don't know about you. I will in heaven, but I'm not going to be here forever. As we've looked at this concept, as we try to plan for the future in the church in Newton with the men, we got together and, and uh, we, we got ideas from the whole congregation. And what do we need to do in 2018 to make sure that the church grows and goes forward? And, and we make the plans, and, and, and there's several reasons for that. One is I want them all involved. When I planned this work over 11 years ago, I was involved in the work in Jamaica, and you know what? That's where I really figured out how to win souls. I never really understood it before that. 
I was able to go from house to house and study with one person right after another, and I learned how easy it was. And so one of the things that I did when I started that work is I wanted to take others with me from that congregation and others to be able to help them to see about evangelism and how easy it is to teach somebody. Do you know how hard it is to get a study here in the States? It can be a challenge. Now, it doesn't have to be. But we need to use what we've got. That opportunity for people to go helps to open up eyes and windows and, and the world of evangelism. We need to teach the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's not Mike and Jared's job. And I stress to the people in Newton that it's not my job. And what's exciting is they understand that. We've got a man that started his own, Tim, started his own construction business, and so he's out working, and, and uh, he called me one day, and he said, uh, I want you to come over here. I'm doing some work for this couple. I want you to meet them. They're coming to church Sunday. And they, they were supposed to be there again today, so I'm excited about that. Everybody's out working, and we work together. We go forward to do the things that are right. But as we make these plans for the future, one of the things that we stressed, and I think about this with church growth, what's going to happen when I'm gone? How are we going to know that the church can continue to grow and go forward? I don't want it to die when I die. I want the church in Newton, Iowa to go forward. I want it to plant churches in other places. And so we make plans to help that to go forward. Guys, we do that with your help. Jared has brought groups up there at times, and, and you know, it gets lonely in Iowa. For the first few years that Dorothy and I were there, it was really lonely. Because you've got just a couple people in attendance. There's congregations out there somewhere in Iowa. There's 40 in the state. It used to be. I think there's less than that now. State the size of at least the population of Tennessee, probably twice as big. 40 congregations. It is such a boost when a group of young people and, 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 and adults come and spend some time with us to give us a great encouragement. A couple months ago, Bob and Carmen came through, and I was so excited because they were going to stop and visit with you all because I wanted to see your love. And I'll tell you what, they're still talking about you. I want you to know that you did so much good. Guys, we've got a great job to do. We've got an amazing job ahead of us. I want us to look at this from this perspective. In Matthew chapter 9, verses 37 and 38, Jesus says, The fields are white unto harvest. And I know you look around and, and it's easy to say, 
he lived in a different time. But I think you and I live in the same kind of time. Kara came to worship last December. She had moved out of town and she was away for a while. And, and she came back and, and, and she said, I wanted to be here because four days ago I have been off meth for four years. Kara had been on meth. She's in her 40s. And drugs. all of her life. With patient working from a brother and the church there, we baptized her four years ago this coming March. Now, it's been a rough ride. You ever deal with somebody that's coming off of meth? But she's amazing. I love Kara. She's so much fun, and she's growing in the Lord, and if she don't like it, she'll tell you about it, and then she'll go home and think about it, and she'll settle down because she'll look at the Word. And we look at the world around us, and we say, no, the fields aren't white unto harvest. Yes, the fields are white unto harvest. They are lost. They are depraved. They are struggling. They are having a hard time, and they need the message that you and I have. They're hurting Guys, I want you to know that when you look in these people's eyes and you see the depraved lives and the problems, don't look and, and say, well, there's no hope. You've got to look and understand that there's a past. And there's good people inside those bodies trying to come out. And you've got the message. Got a man that's been working for me and, and working on my rental houses. And, and I went in the other day and I decided to work on the house because I knew he was there. And I wanted to spend some time with him. All tattooed up. Got a difficult past. He knows who I am. He knows what I do. He brought up the fact that he's an atheist. And you know why he brought it up? Because he wants help. No, he's not after money. He says, thank you so much for providing a job for me. He wants release from his past. And we look at these people and we say, there's no hope. But then we talk to this man like him and, and, and we hear about all of the things that he tries to do that are good Christian behavior. Don't judge the book by the cover. Don't leave out the doctors and the lawyers, but don't leave out the drug addicts either. They're all precious. Every single one of them is going to spend an eternity somewhere. There's only two choices. One is heaven. And the other is hell. Guys, 
In Acts chapter 8 and verse 4, the church, persecuted for their faith, were scattered everywhere. And they went about preaching the word. But I want to present to you something that that passage does not say. It doesn't say that they were earning a living to put food on the table. It doesn't say that they had kids at home to take care of. It doesn't say that there were activities that their kids were involved in as kids will be and it was taking a lot of time. But you know what? That's what was going on. And you know what happened? The church grew like wildfire. It's because everybody in their everyday life was doing whatever they could to win the loss to Jesus. And so I don't care what you're doing. Are you flying an airplane? Talk to other pilots. I do. I get Bible studies. Are you fishing? Do it. Are you hunting? Are you at work? Are you going to the grocery store? Let's win the lost. Jesus said, Ask, and it shall be given to you. Seek, and you're going to find. Knock, and it shall be opened unto you. Pray ye therefore the Lord of the harvest that he will send forth laborers into the harvest and work as though it all depends on you and pray like it all depends on him because that's all true. The plan of salvation is a wonderful thing. So simple. To become a Christian. You hear, you study it, and you gain a faith. You can't please God without that faith and you realize what it says and you're sorry for your sins and you want to change. That's called repentance. If you don't change your life, you're not going to go to heaven. But you also must confess that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. And when you confess it, you're saying, Jesus, you can tell me what to do. Because he can. He's the Son of God. And Jesus says that to be baptized for the remission of your sins, and, and you come out of that water pure and clean, garments pure, spotless. And that's what the world needs. But guys, they're counting on you and me to set the example of the Christian example. What does the Lord want us to do? Say, how does he want us to act? That's the life that we live. Are you a Christian? If you're not, you need to be. You need to do what it says. If you are, are you living for Jesus the way that he said to do? If anybody needs to respond to the invitation, guys, tonight, please do it now while we stand and sing.